Hi, welcome back to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I am here with Mark Sayers. How are you going over there, Mark? Good. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. We are closer in proximity to one another than we were for the Networked World Series. Yes. What else has changed? Well, it's still 1.5 metres, but I think, oh, yeah. what was the last time? It was a glass wall in between us and probably, I don't know, 15 metres? I think 15 metres is a bit of a stretch there. 10 um, metres? <laughs> it was five, I would say. Five. Um, but we had a glass wall between us, which we don't now, and yes. um, things have radically changed here in Melbourne. Um, we were in the lockdown, which we talked a lot about, um, but now um, we're still com- or coming out of lockdown, but we've had two weeks of what is now being called locally donut days. Donut Sorry, one week, days. one week. No, two weeks. Two weeks. Two 14, weeks. 14 days. So donut, seven plus seven. A donut day is zero deaths, zero cases, which is pretty amazing. So to go from a second wave to... Um, zero cases, zero deaths for two weeks is amazing result. Yes. Um, and it yeah. also means that we've got a certain amount of our freedom back. So yes. Yes. we can go beyond five kilometres. Yeah, it's um, now six kilometres. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, he's joking. Um, and you went to the countryside. I did. Yeah. The countryside. The countryside. I, provincial yeah. Victoria. <laughs> well, I guess it would be considered provincial Victoria. I went yeah. up to central Victoria to Bendigo mm. um, on Tuesday. And I don't know, after not having been there for a little while, I sort of appreciated it a little mm. bit more. I mm. grew up there and, um, yeah, couldn't see myself ever living there again. But mm. it was nice to visit. That's good. Well, speaking of uh, appreciating and donuts, um, I think the the biggest downside of this is we're using the term donuts and we don't have any pastries today. Yeah. Um, like we're having constant double. I don't think, I have not had a donut since we entered the double donut era. Well, whose fault is that? The universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we'll rectify that over, yeah. over lunch after this episode recording. Yes. Uh, well, let's, let's get down to talking about what we're going to focus on today. So we have just finished uh, the Networked World series. Mm. So there were five episodes that explored kind of the meta shifts that are going on in culture and the world at the moment. And uh, if you haven't listened to those, I encourage you to go back and listen through them. It's a really helpful way of framing what is happening um, at a meta level. But obviously there's been a lot happening in the world in mm. the last couple of weeks I guess, particularly the US election and we're kind of sitting back and and reading the news and I guess, Mark, you want to explore a little bit about what it teaches us about leadership, particularly for those who are following Jesus at this time. Mm. So you've had some thoughts about that. Mm. Love for you to fire away. Mm. Well, it is fascinating because like, you know, you think about elections and they're a little bit of a, a nerdy thing. You know, it was the nerds, data nerds and politics nerds who got into them. And perhaps if it was your country and, you know, there was a few crises going on, you might be interested. Um, mm-hmm. But people rarely sort of followed overseas elections. But it's been fascinating, the international effect of this particular election. Um, so, you know, you look here in Australia and, you know, it's front page news continually, but yes. it's all across the world. And, you know, like I know even at my kids' school, there's like these <laughs> raging arguments, you know, <laughs> in, in classrooms between these two political sides. I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, um, about its effect in Brazil and wow. the fact that um, like Joe Bolsonaro, who's the leader of Brazil, 
um, there's pressure on him not to accept that Biden or not to say, you know, not to start dealing with president um, elect Biden because um, not because of foreign reasons, mm-hmm. but actually because there's a whole part of his party and his movement, which now sees themselves aligned with Trump. So it's like, he can't even mention the, the really, you know, make a comment on who's won because it would affect him locally. Um, I saw, I saw a thing too on, um, in Nigeria, the popularity of Trump in Nigeria, and, and like there was this, mar- there was marches for Trump in Nigeria, in places like Serbia. It, it's so fascinating. Like I've never seen this, and I think part of this is what we talk about—the networked world. Yes. Um, so that's sort of weird in the sense we're an Australian podcast, but talking about um, you know this U.S. election, but you know it it has gained this. It's like the World Cup or something. The whole world's watching this event. Absolutely. Um, and. But, uh, you know, one of, I mean, so many things we could talk about. But I think, yeah, what you've brought up there is I think one thing that's really caught my attention is and getting beyond – and probably in Australia we, we're a bit outside of it. So I know this is super polarised um, in the US. But I guess from our position looking outside of it and I guess asking the questions like what's the biggest structural things going on yeah, here? Yeah. I've been fascinated how this is showing changes that were occurring around leadership. Now, one of the things we talked about in our Networked World Series, um, and people can go back and listen to it, is changes in the nature of power. Mm. Um, and I think there's an element too where this is showing us how authority is is changing. So Max Weber, who is a famous sociologist, really one of the sort of forefathers of sociology, um, talked about that there were three types of authority in the world. Um, there was traditional authority, which is what a king or a queen, um, maybe even a tribal chief, um, would have where this is an authority that you inherited, you were born into it. Um, other people gave it to you because you were born into a process. Um, you, you, you know, you didn't really earn it. <laughs> you just were born with it. Um, and then he talked about another type of authority, which was institutional or legal authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of European history was actually about the battle between those two types of authority. So, you know, in England um, and the United Kingdom, um, you know, had pa- the growth of parliament uh, was an institutional authority yes. and there was often, you know, this sort of like trying to work out the balance between the traditional authority of the crown and the institutional authority of parliament. Um, so we have institutional authority and that's elected officials. So um, the Prime Minister of Australia has institutional authority. The person who is in charge of a university has institutional authority. And in many ways, many Christian leaders have institutional authority. It's positional power. Um, But Weber talked about another kind of power, which is charismatic power. Um, This is the power of personality, of platform, Mm. of someone who's able to, um, through articulation or something about them in their personal style, engender uh, influence in the world. And one of the really interesting dynamics in our world is the growth of the potential for people with charismatic power to influence that particularly social media has given people now Mm. and the internet. So one of the things we talked about in the networked world was the way that power was centralised at certain periods of history and then decentralised. And the internet has been something that has decentralised power. So we're seeing this in the US election. So you have almost politicians now have to create charismatic power movements. It's not enough just to have institutional power. And it's really interesting at the moment that you almost have this battle between um, you know what? There's an argument over who has the legal or institutional power, um, and then who has the charismatic power. And you know you can see how charismatic power is actually leveraged against legal power. It's it's so fascinating. 
Um, you know, it's not at all, um, again, to, you know, on point of recording this, um, Donald Trump has not conceded um, at this point. Um, but if things progress where, you know, he was forced to concede or concedes or whatever, or perhaps doesn't concede and leaves office, um, it's not out of possibility, and, and maybe Biden does this, I don't know, if, if, you know, for some reason Trump clung to power, where you could have someone outside of the White House mm. who is still running rallies, who is still using their social media platform, who still has a people movement behind them, and increasingly what's happening is that power is being detached from institutional power. Mm. And this is a fundamental shift in the world. So I think there's almost an element that I think there's a lot of people feeling, um, uh, you know, that almost, I've, you know, someone described Joe Biden as, you know, it's almost the kill switch, you know. So there's this element of this whole new world of insurgent, charismatic personality in the world. And again, too, it's not just the U.S., and we've seen this all around the world. Interestingly, the populist in Mexico, uh, Obrador, also known as AMLO, has not yet said he's going to say that uh, you know, Joe Biden's the president you know, and he's on the left. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing this ability, but also in, in celebrity. Um, you know, you're seeing the way that celebrity power can now be leveraged. Um, and then like there's people coming from charismatic power into institutional power. Yeah. Um, and... And even institutional power, people seeing it as really a booster of charismatic power or a platform. So, so much of the drama in the world at the moment is, you know, if I talked about it used to be between traditional and institutional, is now between institutional and charismatic forms of power. Okay. So, I mean, the power is obviously, those institutions of power are obviously related to one another. They're not mutually exclusive. But is, are we seeing this play out in the church? Yes. Yeah. I saw a fascinating stat um, that a friend of mine put up on Instagram yesterday, um, which said that 70% of US pastors are considering other employment or looking for another job. Mm. Um, and, you know, that allays with a lot of what I've heard speaking to people who, you know, in the US have said that, you know, either them or many of their other friends who are pastors are looking for, you know, like looking to get out really. Um, and I think what partially what has changed is that in certain places, um, probably Australia less so, I think, mm -hmm. but there was an institutional power associated with being a pastor or being in a denomination, having, you know, being the, the pastor or preacher at that famous particular church. Um, and the way that people thought about, I guess, gaining authority, and perhaps authority is a better word, is that, you know, you begin at the bottom of an institution, you're loyal to that institution, you perform in that institution, and then slowly you make your way up to the top where you find yourselves in positional power. Um, but what's really, really interesting is that because of platform and the ability of a feedback mechanism, you think before, like, Institutional power controlled the means of communication. So yes. the sermon, you know, the announcements, the denominational newspaper, um, the big conference where the big decisions were made. It was, it was very top down. Um, but what social media has done is create a much flatter space and it's created feedback loops. Mm. Um, one of the great dynamics that I've heard from lots of pastors is the difficulty is that they're finding themselves having to uh, negotiate. And this is also true. I'm you know, hearing this from friends in the UK. Um, a whole bunch of differing political, cultural views in their church, um, uh, almost to the point where it's almost emotionally reactive. Like everything yeah. is now viewed through this lens. Um, and 
what that means is that as a pastor, they're on Instagram continually getting questioned. They're on Twitter getting questioned, Facebook getting questioned. Um, and this creates this real sense of precariousness. They don't feel like they have power mm -hmm. to make a call. They rather feel that everyone's making a call of them. Now, are there still places where institutional power is still happening? Is that even being abused in places? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but it's this really interesting moment where in a sense, this goes back to what we've spoken about before in the podcast, that it's easy to get power, but easy to lose it at yeah. the same time. So I think that a large trend that we're seeing that is emerging is the shift to that charismatic power. I mean, another way to look at it is that, you know, some of the most influential voices in, in the church in the last five years have been people who aren't necessarily leading a church. Uh, they're not in a denominational head. They're not the head of a large parachurch organization. They're bloggers or people with YouTube accounts. And so the pastor or the leader now no longer has the authority of position that they used to and they're now finding themselves on an equal playing field what people's peers are saying on social media networks, what the media is saying, what other YouTubers are saying. And this creates a whole new dynamic that so many people are not used to. And I think this is driving, so yes, is it the polarization of the culture? Yes, but also I think particularly for pastors and leaders, it's that sense that power is changing. this in mind I mean it does it feels um unstable yeah you know and it's kind of scary I suppose in in some ways to think about trying to elicit mm. any kind of authority in this setting um mm. and and lead people well is there one type of leadership that is in the ones that you've described better than another mm. or you know tell yeah. me what yeah. what should we be like aiming for yeah it's really interesting because um you know you see arguments on both sides mm. there's the institutionalists you know and you see this in the church and outside the church they're the people who are basically saying you know there's a problem in the world um and you know that institutions are being pulled down and institutions can actually bring these cultural goods and they can bring them beyond just individuals and i think there's, a, there's an element of truth to that um and you know, like Yuval Levin's just written a book called It's a Time to Build, you know, this mm -hmm. strong argument for institutions and, you know, to, to, it shouldn't be so personality-based. Um, there's another push you also see, which is really around, hang on, you don't need the institution. You just need a, you know, a laptop and a, a podcasting mic and there's this moment where, you know, if you have talent and if you have influence, it can, you know, you can influence in mm -hmm. the world. Um, and I think part of the problem is that both these have truth, you know, like there's an element where, um, you know, I can see how there's truth in both those things. It's, institutions can carry cultural goods over time. They're beyond just the individual. But then also there's elements where, you know, I've learned from thinkers and leaders who if they did, hadn't had a podcast, I would have never met them. And sometimes the most humble people actually often don't get a voice mm. because they're not at the top of a power structure. 
I think part of the problem also goes back to another concept that's wrapped over leadership that we almost need to understand as we talk about these three forms of authority. Um, John O'Neill wrote a book, um, I think it was called The Paradox of Success in the 90s, business writer. Um, and he had a little bit in there which is really interesting um, where he talked about mythic leadership. Mm-hmm. And he said part of the problem with leadership is that those people who find themselves in positions of leadership or are pursuing positions of leadership have like a mythic coating over leadership. Similar thing like, you know, when I used to do um, uh, pre-marriage counselling with couples who were going to get married in the church, part of my job was to help them deconstruct a little bit some of the romantic mythic expectations they had of, mm-hmm. of romantic love or what marriage um, or life together could be like. Similar thing needs to happen with leadership. And I think traditionally, if you go back sort of 40, 50 years and you look at, you know, when, well, I think, I think he was writing in the early 90s, um, John O'Neill, he talked about some of the mythic trappings of leadership. Again, he's talking about a secular environment, but, you know, like the, the you know, the, the secretary and the, and the big office in the corner of mm-hmm. the building, the, um, you know, gold watch, the executive, you know, $200 leather bound um, compendium. I'm um, thinking um, the firm that that yes. film that we were talking about the other yes. week. I've rewatched it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we could do a whole podcast on the firm. Um, so that, that's for another day. That's for another day. So that sense of oh, you see that in that movie. You know, Tom Cruise joins this. I think it's early '90s. So similar yeah, yeah. time frame. Joins this movie, and there's all these, you know, all these like, um, uh, you know, benefits. You 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 know, you get to be part of this. Yeah, you know, it's the allure of the allure. You know. The, 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 you know, the flight lounge, you know yes. what I mean? Like, you so know, all this stuff, frequent status. fly points, business class on a plane, status. But I think what's really interesting is there was a little bit of a revolution that occurred. And, and, and some of that stuff, I remember, you know, being a young pastor and going to a meeting with a bunch of other pastors who were from big churches and, and they had, you know, some of those trappings there, great people. But I remember them all putting down their sort of leather bound planners, you know, <laughs> and, you know, they all had like really big watches and your yeah. gold watches and all that sort of stuff. You didn't bring yours today? No, I've just got this little paper thing. Um, that, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's about masks now. You know, like yeah. uh, yeah, you've got your gold, gold plated, gold plated mask. mask. Um, so, what's really interesting though is I think because in the background, the digital revolution and also the age of the image, um, and even in some senses, sort of the the growth of I heard someone call it the other day of coolianity. 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 Christianity. Word. Sort of that, that's become cool. You know, that, that age I've spoken about before of, you know, the, 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 the era of uh, relevance where the church pursued relevance as its primary way yeah. of interacting with the culture is that I think some of the mythic success markers changed. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it, it, it wasn't so much about you want the big church. It, became about, it was still the big church, but it was more about the big social media footprint. Yeah. Um, the Instagram, the connection even to celebrities, um, the sense of a sort of hipsterized ascetic life, the photos of the, the perfect family doing cool things, you know, all of this. And there was almost this sense where people bought into, I can pursue ministry um, and maybe I'm still leading a church. So I'm in an institutional setting, but I'm pursuing it through the framework of that charismatic personality driven mm-hmm. Um, so it became really the creation of a personality, a persona, um, with all kinds of ascetic trappings around it. And that's what we understood as, I guess, success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this moment is that it's not that one is better than the other. Um, I would actually say all have faults um, and all, in a sense, have led us into part of the crisis that we're in at the moment. Now, 
institutional, you know, people could do that. People could do the sort of, you know, you think of it in the last sort of 10 years, that sort of new Christian coolianity, um, <laughs> you know, mythic version of charismatic uh, leadership. But then in the last sort of three to four years, as the world has become destabilized and chaotic, all of a sudden that just feels terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and people feel precarious. And, and what we're seeing at the moment, I actually think is the falling down of both institutions and charismatic driven leaders through... Um, the mythic stuff becoming the primary thing. Um, and so I, I don't think one is better than the others. For leaders listening then, mm-hmm. um, we are acknowledging that there's a huge shift occurring in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've said it throughout that entire Networked World series and you're mentioning it now. How do we need to think about leadership and authority in the church then if, mm-hmm. yeah, none of these kind of uh, frameworks help mm-hmm. us understand what to mm-hmm. what it looks like? Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a fourth leadership. Fourth authority. And Weber didn't speak of this, but I see that Scripture speaks of this concept that is spiritual authority, Mm -hmm. that there is something that is intangible, hard to measure by the world's metrics. But when someone pursues Jesus with all their heart, when they are following him and they're stepping into that place of obedience, when they realize that his presence follows God's possession of them, the whole of their lives, that then God is with us um, and there is this anointing, this mantle that is over leaders. All the sort of language um, that we see of anointing leaders, this sense in the Old Testament when people are anointed with the oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, um, I think there's a time and an opportunity as these other models of authority are subverted and deconstructed by a decentralizing chaotic moment to actually re-step back into what genuine biblical authority is. Um, one of the things that is really interesting behind charismatic positional um, and even to an extent traditional leadership is all have a visibility to them. Yeah. Um, all of them uh, have this public sense. So there's this sense that if you're going to move in the public that you've got to then expand your public, you know, people's public viewing of you. Yeah. But what's really interesting about spiritual authority as we see it in the scriptures is that spiritual authority is developed in the hidden places. Hmm. David's uh, victories that he has later on, um, the Psalms that he writes... Um, his, his deep communion with God first is one in the sense of um, him doing that as a shepherd, without positional, without charismatic, when literally he was the one no one thought of. And so my sense is that in the midst of all of this, I guess, deconstructing of all these models of leadership, I actually think that the hand of God is somewhat in this, like not somewhat, is in this. 
that there is this sense of God is using this moment. And I think there's a preparing in the world. Mm -hmm. I think there's actually a cohort shift at this point in time where what we're seeing is almost like the baton being passed from one generation to another generation. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that the baton's being passed in a good secession sense, that actually what is being passed is that we're almost seeing the prophetic voice turning off, almost, I think, in, in a cohort of, of, of leaders. But my hope is that actually that what I'm seeing in the world, that there is another whole generation. Um, and by generation, I don't even mean an age group. I mean, people alive in the world at a time, that biblical sense of a generation who have been prepared and don't recognize that actually what God has been doing them is building spiritual authority. Just really quickly, I guess, I guess to end. Yeah. The Martin Luther you know, talked about the temple in a sense representing like us there's mm -hmm. an element where there is our bodies like the outer court so the temple the temple had three parts to it and um there's the outer court which is the interface with the world then you went into sort of the next part of the temple there was this division which was sort of the holy place where there was sort of like this religious activity and there was sort of an interface between the priests and the people so there's a public ministry element to that um but then there was this bit which was curtained off which was that deep inner holiest of holies, which only the high priest would go into once a year on Yom Kippur and have to be prepared for. But in that holiest of holies, that's where the power and presence and dwelling place, that's where God communed with humans. And that was cut off because of sin. It had to be separated. So there was this curtain that divided that part. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Um, and in a sense, you know, Hebrews says that we can approach that you know, we can approach God with confidence you know, because he has gone ahead as the high priest. Mm. And what's really interesting is Watchman Nee talked about the fact that like, in a sense, we get to then go into that deeper place when we follow Jesus's encouragement to take up our cross daily. And when we take up our cross daily and we are obedient and we put our flesh at the foot of the cross, we then enter into this deeper life with God where there's less of us, more of him. And so I see what's happening at the moment as almost like the chaos and instability of this moment where people generally don't know what to do when they feel vulnerable as leaders, where they feel that there's questioning, when they feel disappointed, when they see a leader that they looked up to, their, their ministry falling down, is that when we bring that all to the cross, when we take up our cross daily, when we crucify our flesh, a new possibility of a kind of leadership in us emerges where it's not us, it's actually what God's doing in us and carries the intangible chavod weight of God that is behind our authority. We need more godly authority in the world. I think institutions have been called on their you know, ways that they've been corrupt. I think charismatic personality-driven leadership is being called on the ways that it's been corrupt and even traditional um, leadership is being called. But I think the time of the moment is particularly ripe for God to bring forth a new generation of the world who's being prepared. And I think this is some people who are listening now. So if you feel like you've been in the hidden place, God has been ripping flesh from you, that you're continually having to put stuff on the altar, that's not an accident. That's God preparing for the next thing he wants to do in the world. So encouraging, Mark. So we uh, pray that you're encouraged and challenged by this today and join us again next week.